and welcome to Taking Care of Business. I'm Jackie Mitchell. How do you measure people? Not their height, but their performance. Technical skills have been the norm in the past, but modern business practices are cleverly measuring soft skills, emotional intelligence, or EQ as it's known, and social skills. As the saying goes, you can teach skills, but you can't teach attitude and values. Today, we find out more about this modern business phenomenon, people analytics, and what that means for the future of work and the workplace. Our panel of guests today are very well qualified, of course, otherwise they wouldn't be on the show to talk about this. Our first guest is the CEO of Cogmetrics, and he's also the general manager of a company called Fleet Risk. We're going to find out a bit more what that all means in a minute, but I'd like to welcome Duncan Ferguson to the show. Thanks very much for having me on, Jackie. Good to have you here, Duncan. Now, I just want to start, you've got a little bit of uh, radio in the family, haven't you? Now, there's those that listen to 3RW and uh, drive from the peninsula up to Melbourne or around on 3RW, they get the traffic report by a lady called Caroline Ferguson, and that's your sister. Yes, my sister tells you where to go, and she's been telling me for a long time. <laughs> and so did she always wanted to get into radio as a child? Like, have you had some experience in that field? Me, no. I'm the untalented member of the family in the the arts, but my brother's an amateur actor and my sister has always been destined to do something with a voice. Oh, really? And did your parents come from a theatrical background or...? Comes down my mother's side. Mm. And so have you taken after your father's side? Uh, On the the talent side? Yes. I don't think any of them own me. (laughs) But never mind. How do you describe yourself? So if someone meets you at a barbecue or a party and says, Hi, Duncan, what do you do? How do you describe yourself? Oh, we're in predictive people analytics software. Uh, The tools are great, but it's more what do you do with it. Mm. Uh, We can pretty much find out, uh, we can can analyse any sort of job. Uh, The big things that we're looking at are road safety. We're a member of the National Road Safety Partner Program and we have an initiative called fleetrisk.com.au. I was going to ask you about fleet risk. So tell us a little bit more about what fleet risk is. That is a... uh, Fleet risk is a risk mitigation service. At the moment, we're targeting commercial motor vehicle drivers. Mm -hmm. Uh, My colleagues in Sydney, uh, Mercurian Better Driver, and we've been very successful there with... um, some fleets we've managed to get crash rates down by 60% over a six-month period. Fantastic. Uh, and our side of that is to analyse the driving-related cognitive skills. And you can find out a lot more about this on the National Road Safety Partner Program website where we've got understanding the important link between cognition and safe driving. And you see that on nrspp.org.au. Oh, great. And for how long's fleet risk been around for? How long have you been doing that? Conceptually, we've been talking to insurance companies since around 2011, mm. and now we're underway, and very soon we'll have our own insurance uh, underwriting capacity. That's really exciting. I, I did read that in prep for today, and I, I couldn't quite believe it. It was just, it sounds almost too good to be true, but it, it works. Well, the, the, uh, the cognitive and perceptual skills for safe driving have been well documented in scientific literature. Mm. Uh, we're just putting theory into practice. Now, this uh, theory into practice with the software, you've also uh, got another company called Cogmetrics, and I'm assuming the cog means is for cognition or thinking skills and using your brain, and the metrics is measuring those skills. Is that how the term Cogmetrics came together? 
Yes, I tried to make a simple name that people can roughly understand what we do. Yeah, yeah. But I did laugh the cog because it was cog in the wheel, which is a bit car. There's a car connection as well there. I don't know if you've ever made that connection. I'd never thought about it, but you're right. Yeah, there is. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was interesting. So cog metrics, tell us a little bit more about that because I find this particularly interesting. Uh, well, cog metrics is about using cognitive neuroscience to really understand what it is that makes people tick. Mm. Uh, it, you, it goes well beyond cognition. It goes into emotional intelligence, goes into social uh, cohesion, personality factors, interests, values, etc., to get a really different view of, uh, A, what's important for each particular job, and importantly, what's in, how is each individual different and what suits them best. So the Cogmetrics project, is that uh, it's, it's software that you've developed? Is that how it works? We bring the software in from a UK manufacturer called Cognosis, who we work in with, mm. and they share the same goals in really helping take people from the, say, around year 10 education level all through their life to provide information about what roles suit them best, what skills do they need to develop, where should they go. Uh, and it's very much um, predicated on the belief that we've got a system whereby we've got in, uh, globally we've got 87% of people who are working are not engaged at work, and these are all Gallup, Gallup uh, polls. Mm-hmm. Uh, a third of people are looking for a new job after being one in six months, and after four years, organisations are turning over two thirds of their workforce. This tells me that people uh, aren't happy in what they're doing. And, of course, that then becomes incredibly expensive for employers. Is that generational? Like, is that change with the... Is that more Gen Y if, uh, are acting like that more than, say, the Gen X or baby boomers, or is it across the board? That's across the board, these figures. Mm. Um, it would be interesting to do more analysis because, I, you know, the, the, the Gen Ys and millennials get a bad rap. Mm. Um, whether that's fact or whether that's just cranky old people like myself, I'm not sure. Yeah, I think it's cranky old people like us. The yeah. Gen Xs and the and the baby boomers going, they don't know what hard work is. And look, I, personally, I just think they do things differently. Uh, there's always going to be, you know, bad apples around always, in no matter what generation or, or tribes or communities is always going to be the bad ones but the majority of people are good and I think that the millennials in in my personal view is that they just do things differently and they look at the world differently and they look at work differently I think they see work as more of a blended uh, act in their life you know so uh, the, the baby boomers are very much you go to work you come home and they're quite separate you know they wouldn't well they weren't didn't most of them didn't have email to check but they wouldn't work on the weekends and you know I'm at home at six o'clock and then I'm not answering the phone because that's work and that can wait till tomorrow where the millennials I think make it more blended and make it sort of fit in with their lifestyle I don't know have you got a view on that? I think you're onto something Uh, there's a really good uh, session on the web where I saw uh, an older motor mechanic talking about his job and it was all about the nuts and bolts and then a younger motor mechanic talking about the design etc and they're looking at the same job but with completely different perspectives. Mm, yeah, so that's interesting. Now, with the Cogmetrics project, how do you measure the cognition? So is it, a, is it a survey that they fill out or do you use fMRI or what's the tools that you use? No, we don't run people through machines. Yeah. The, uh, the, the, the cognition is measured through interactive exercises. Ah, so like what? Can you give an example of what one would be? Uh, 
hard to describe, but they're more gym. They're not like those games where you go through theme parks and things and make decisions. This is more about um, geometric shapes and measuring your spatial skills, your divided attention skills. Uh, it's deliberately geometric because you, we're trying to go to that very core level mm. and we're trying to make it so that people of all backgrounds can engage in this on a, on a fair basis. Um, it's what the uh, technology's done is allowed us to take exercises which were initially pencil and paper and put them online. And these uh, these exercises, a lot of their basis comes from work that was done with the military, with pilots, etc. So it's it's not it's been around for a long time. It's just now in a format that's much more accessible. And is it completely one hundred percent online, or do you still have some writing elements to it to engage different parts of the brain? Or? On cognition, that's completely online. Mm. Um, personality is measured through surveys. Uh, the surveys can be either in written form. But we also have a facility now where you can do videos. Now, the interesting thing about the videos is we have thin, what we call thin slicing over the top of that. So we can see if what you're saying is matching to your facial expressions. Oh, it's like so it. that's So that's, that's pretty cool. And, and yeah, it is. For example, you, if you've got, you want to get down to the deep roots of uh, important issues like workplace bullying, and, of course, you fill out a survey, people will pretty much give you what they want to hear, for mm. whether it's for shame or fear of losing their job. But if you can thin slice and see that their facial expressions aren't matching up to what they're saying, it flags that you've got something to investigate much further. So, And it also reduces that margin of error. So any, any research of any type, it's all about reducing that margin of error. And like a lot of people, when they're filling out surveys or even in focus groups, if they're actually just giving their verbal opinion or whatever form of method of communication they're using, uh, they don't go out of their way to, to lie to you, but they quite often want to tell you what you want to hear or mm. what society wants them to believe. Or There's, there's all these sort of risk factors because the, the, the challenge for any researcher is to dig down to get an honest response, to find out what is really, truly happening. Yeah, for researchers, for, for managers, for people who are interviewing people. And one of the big things about this approach is you're, you're helping to strip out subconscious bias. Mm, okay. So what sort of companies in Australia are using Cogmetrics? Uh, we're doing work on the road safety front with people like New South Wales Business Chamber. Mm. Uh, we've done work with rental rideshare drivers and we're just analysing that data now. Uh, and in the school space, we've done quite a bit of work with Independent Schools Victoria. And there's real potential, which we're going to talk about during the show today, about applying the Cogmetrics software system, I suppose, in for employers to look at uh, recruitment. Yes, recruitment and organisational design. So mm. getting them into the system and then uh, once they're in the system, using all these different tools to make sure that the individual is flourishing and therefore the company's flourishing. We are talking today about people analytics. This is a really fascinating discussion and I'm here with Duncan Ferguson and we're going to take a short break and on the other side of this break we're going to continue to grow this discussion from a few different perspectives. We're going to look at HR, we're going to look at STEM skills, we're going to look at education, a number of things. And this is really talking about the future of work, Duncan, isn't it? About how we can engage people, changing some workplace cultures, uh, lots of really interesting stuff and and you're listening to Taking Care of Business exclusively here on Adult PFM. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. 
We're hoping to take the mask off your eyes about science and not blinding you with science, but that was a good song from the 80s, Thomas Dolby there. And we are talking about all sorts of science today, neuroscience in particular, and how we can utilise cognition and understanding how our brain works and how we think and how that can then help measure soft skills. So I suppose effectively making the intangibles in the past tangible. And I'm here with the CEO of Cogmetrics and Fleet Risk, Duncan Ferguson. And our next guest I'd like to welcome is a director of Proactive Ageing. And uh, his name is Steve Zannon. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Good morning, Steve. Now, proactive ageing, that sounds like a nice place to work. Tell us a bit about that. Um, It's it's a business I started in 2009, um, and I was really interested in the boomer segment uh, and the uh, extension of life, if you like. So Mm. the previous generation uh, would retire and basically go out and play bowls and so forth. But with the boomers coming through... Um, and the extension of life, we're really looking at 20 or 30 years of additional livelihood. Mm. Um, and then the question is, well, what do you do with that? And it's, a, it's, if you like, it's the third phase of life. So I started this business in and around trying to explore what that might be from a more fulfilled sense, given that um, through, the, through the baby boomer sector, they've, they've changed a lot of the lifestyle and the things we do through the 60s, then the working um, series through the 80s and 90s and now moving into the retirement phase there's going to be a lot of different things now we can't really perceive what those different things are but I started this business in and around um, po- posing a platform of cognitive and mental health and psychological health about getting people in a position to explore that and see what that might be so never trying to answer that but just opening it opening up that capability how long ago did you start the business uh, 2009, I started the business. I think conceptually, I started about 2006, yeah. working through what that might be because it was really a blank sheet of paper um, and, and working through uh, on the psychological side and also the neuroscience bottom-up side, um, what that might be. It took about two or three years to formulate the structure around that and I kicked it off September 2009, which seems like a, quite a while ago now. Yeah, and it was about the first business that you'd ever started? Yes, from an entrepreneurial point of view, yeah. Prior to that, um, I was in the corporate world and sort of worked my way up the ladder pretty quickly. Ended up in a in a global role with a major American IT firm, and sort of got up to the top. And hang on a second, <laughs> um, I'm working more about the internal politics of a big global organisation than at the customer touch point, which is really where I started. So that got me questioning. That was know, question. And what was yeah. the motivation to go down this path of proactive ageing? I, I was made, sort of made a decision. Well, it was an interesting uh, move because I, I made the decision that, hang on, this is not where I want to be. And then I sort of, you know, turned my head and looked in a different direction and, and, and asked, asked myself, okay, so if it's not this, what is it? And I was a blank. Um, and I just thought, oh, my God, there's nothing, there's nothing there. Mm. So it really took, uh, like I said, two or three years to actually start from a blank sheet of paper and start to fill that in as to what might that be. So in, in some senses of the word, I went through my own process of what might the rest of my life look like yeah. from a values uh, perspective and, mm. a, and, a, and a self-purpose point of view. And it was pretty scary to start that off when, when it was blank and it was, oh my God, actually, I don't really know myself <laughs> or what I really want to do. Mm. So that was a really interesting transition. Did, did you get some help during that process? 
Uh, very absolutely. Well, I who, who, who did you use and how did you go about that? I looked at a whole lot of different areas. Um, I really started for the first time to really look at deep into various angles of psychology mm. and also some psychotherapy type work. A lot of the frameworks that I pulled from and, and modified was in the positive psychology area. Mm. Um, so reevaluating things like your values, your life purpose, all of the structures, real needs versus wants and things like that. And that was quite a difficult process, to be honest, and um, a lot of very self-challenging questions and, uh, and finding out a lot of things about myself that were A, surprising mm. and B, probably not so pleasant, but also working through a lot of that. Um, and, I'm, and, it was an, and it was an interesting phase. It was a tough phase. But coming out on the other side, you have a whole new perspective of yourself and the world. Um, and what's great is you actually solidify your purpose. And the, the decisions about my personal purpose around that are quite solid and haven't changed in or 10 or 12 years now, despite the, how rough and tumble um, entrepreneurship is. So I'm pretty comfortable that I've, I've got a solid rock on which to stand. That's good. Have you heard moment. of a, an author uh, called Rick Hansen? He's yes. Written, yeah, I thought you might have. <laughs> he, uh, he's written a book called Buddha's Brain. Yes. Have you read it? I haven't read that book. I'm very familiar with Rick Hansen and a whole lot of associates that um, he's associated with. Um, and, yeah, a lot of that is uh, – a lot of it moves into um, opening up neuroscience, in a sense, from the plasticity and the adjustability of everyone with a bit of a psychological uh, framework and, if you like, a bit of a Buddhist theme mm. about opening uh, your mind up to – potential possibilities and all of that. Yeah, something yeah. that he said, uh, I find him interesting. And those that are, that are enjoying this conversation, you can just Google Rick Hansen. He's, there's yeah. a lot of podcasts and things heaps, that you can, yeah, yeah heap, there is heaps, isn't yeah, there? Heaps, yeah. uh, listen to what he said. But one a bit of his his teachings, I suppose, or his views that I really like is he about being that self-reflection, doing that self-reflecting, getting to know yourself, which is the journey, that the path yes. that you you did. And because you you can't understand anyone else until you understand yourself. So once you understand yourself, you, your, uh, I suppose your skills about understanding other people are, are really well sharpened and you can actually read body language, you can read people's energy and you can read people and understand people and that helps you market your business because that's what marketing is all about is that customer behavior and that all adds to that did have have you did you find that was that your experience uh yeah look all of that is is you're exactly right going through your own self-awareness process mm. gives you some frameworks for thinking um, about how personality uh and even people are structured in a way and once you've gone through that process, your scope to ask yourself questions about another and, and work through and understand that that's not a black and white situation, that mm. you sort of need to work through gaining that awareness of another, and it's a bit of a process. But at least you've got a whole lot more questions to ask and to frame in your own mind about another um, that you didn't have before. So it's a phenomenal tool. So if, we, if we're starting to talk about soft skills as we are today and even the process of empathy, um, without that, you can, get a, you can get a personal body language feeling of, and, and be empathetic that way, but there's also layers that sit above that and you can begin to have, a, I guess, a metacognitive process of that 
for both self and other. And then that leads into a, a deeper communication with the other. You can ask some more introspective questions, if you like, that would, you would have been blind to before. Why do you think it's been so hard in the past to measure soft skills? Oh, I, think that's, I think that's a very easy question. With the hard skills, um, we've always had a series of metrics which have been very, very easy to do. With the soft skills... Um, we've, we've never really had a series of tight metrics, if you like. We've never had a hard ruler in which to measure that. A lot of it was sort of subjective opinion. And it hasn't really been... And look, brain science and neuroscience is, is perfect. Um, if you like, uh, neuroscience or the nervous system is a couple of steps behind where we are medically with the uh, musculoskeletal system and the cardiovascular system because we haven't had the tools to measure. Mm. And it wasn't until we got the MRIs, the fMRIs, the EEGs as the first tools to begin to measure that. So they've only been around 15, 20 years. And once you've got the tools, you can start to make hypotheses and build tools around it like um, Duncan and his group have done. So the answer is yes, we can absolutely measure all of that stuff. We've only been more recently able to do that because of the scientific tools that have come about. And have you found in your measuring of these uh, soft skills, I suppose the term soft skills is an interesting one, isn't it? Why is it called soft, do you think? Oh, because of the uh, well, I don't know, our inability hard. to measure it, I think. Uh, was, you think so? Yeah, yeah okay. I think that's it. Yeah, that's a good answer. I'm, right. just, I'm just thinking that, just, I'm thinking out loud there. Yeah. Uh, but has there been any in your experience with going through this process of measuring soft skills uh, and I'm sure you've been asked this question before the difference okay. between female and male soft skills I know it's a bit of a tricky one but I noticed in when I was looking you up um, yeah. your bio <laughs> that you were involved in male health yes as well yes. so can you tell us a little bit about that and the difference between say female and male health in regard to soft skills is there anything yeah. um, people would like to make a distinction between the two um, and it is true because there are biological differences that, that there are some distinctions. Um, I, would, I would cover that by saying, yes, there are some distinctions, but there's a hell of a lot more overlap. Okay. So when yeah. we talk about, uh, you know, we can break soft skills down to 10, 20, 50 different sub-soft skills, if you, if you like. And, and when you measure those, there's always a spectrum across every single person. And when you measure that spectrum amongst a whole series of different skills, and then you might layer up two people, you'll see that there's, a, there's never an exact match, but there's always lots and lots of overlays amongst the spectrum. Um, and there's nothing radically different about males and females in that sense. Um, and it turns out that it's a lot more, in terms of the soft skills, the personality, the self-perception, turns out that a lot more of that's to do with your environment and upbringing than the biological overlay. Not to say that there's no biological parameters around that, but the environmental situation and the cultural situation tends to be a, a bigger determining factor. We have just opened a can of worms yes. <laughs> that I am going to open a bit further That's on okay. the other side of this break. It's a it. really great discussion, Steve. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all that with you. And I'm, I'm looking forward to the next half an hour to, to explore that a bit further. Uh, clearly, uh, we are getting brainier from the best brains in the business world here on Taking Care of Business. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. We are talking about soft skills, and that was Love So Soft by Kelly Clarkson. And uh, I want to listen to the rest of that song. I think that sounds quite good. 
And we're talking about how to make the intangible tangible. We have our guest panel here today, Duncan Ferguson and Steve Zannon. And to round out this terrific trio, I should say, is our final panel member. He's a true HR leader. And we have to talk about um, human resources and HR when we're talking about things like EQ and soft skills. And uh, he devises strategies to enhance individual and organisational performance. He's Director of Clever Space, HR and ER Consulting Directioneering. Noel Pierce, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Now, can I just ask you, HR we know is human resources. What does ER stand for? Employee Relations. Ah, okay, there we go. I wasn't quite sure if it was emotional relations or, you know, emergency relations. (laughs) And the um, consulting... emotional relations. Well, I suppose it is, isn't it, in a way? And I wasn't quite sure. I thought I'd just better double-check that. Now, you've been in uh, HR for a very long time, and I was looking at your background, and you would have seen incredible change because business has been going through unprecedented change. And this is one of the big areas of now measuring soft skills and the importance of emotional intelligence or EQ and social intelligence and, and things like that. And technology has has changed, but humans uh, haven't changed that much. Do you think or have they? What what changes have you seen? Well, I think the, the expectations of humans in the workforce has changed dramatically over the years because we, we did focus, you know, turn the clock back 40, 50 years or even further to the Industrial Revolution. You know, what did we focus on? We focused on direct... Uh, skills that were executed in the workplace that were generally pretty hands-on, pretty technically based, experience-based. And the fundamental change has been around the expectation of employees in terms of their learning, the expectation in terms of employees to make a greater contribution beyond the day-to-day technical capability that they bring into the workforce. Yeah, and is communication still the number one issue in business? Communication with employees has ch- mm. changed dramatically, and I guess if I reflect on my career, how you how you communicate and engage with, you know, I think if you look back thirty years and talk to business leaders about employee engagement, they'd wonder what the heck you're talking about. <laughs> um, <laughs> what is that? Um, you know, people went went to work and they got paid. Mm. Um, and that's why they went to work. And there's been, uh, over the years, many, many surveys and data that very, very clearly demonstrates that whilst, whilst pay is obviously an important thing, it is not the most critical component of employees going to work. It, it's about mm. how effectively they're led, how effectively they're engaged in the business and recognition of the contribution that they make in the business. Now, that's interesting, the reward and recognition. Does that work? You know, that they have an incentive program or a reward and recognition program in a corporation. Uh, does it work? still work effectively? It works effectively for part of the process, but the best paid person is not going to be motivated and engaged in the, in the business purely by what ends up in their paycheck every week or every month. At the end of the day, there is 
the environment. Because yeah, let's face it, apart from sleeping, during our careers we spend more time going to work than we do doing anything else. Mm. We spend more time at work than we do with our families very often. Um, and, uh, you know, there's not a lot of reward in sleep. Um, so why would you not want to create an environment where employees enthusiastically engage with the organisation and enthusiastically engage with their role and, very importantly, enthusiastically engage with those around them, both in terms of their peers and, uh, and the leadership team that they're working with. In your view, Noel, what makes a great leader or what makes a great leadership team? Um, boy, how long, how long have we got? I mean, there are millions of definitions with the, uh, around leadership, but I think the fundamental driver in terms of effective leadership, in my view, is around the engagement of employees, around the engagement of those and engaging those employees in what is the primary outcome for the business um, and engaging those employees to ensure that they are able to provide the best skills and the best capability that they have. That's, that's what leadership's all about. It's about getting you know, the most effective return on the investment the organisation is making. And you're not going to get that without the employee wanting to do it. Yeah. I think all of us have probably been in situations where we've we've had roles, we've gone into jobs where we are being paid, okay, we'll go and do it. But do we how do we get an employee or how do we ourselves give the discretionary extra bit of performance, the discretionary bit of thinking that uh, the, the business needs? and the business will benefit from. That's what good leadership's about. It's all about engagement. Mm. In the past, uh, you've been head of HR for some global, global multinationals like Pepsi, Pizza Hut and Rothmans. What key issues in your experience does big business and small business have? Do they have some things in common or are they very different? I think when you really peel it back, it comes back to the, the same fundamental issue. And it gets back to one of the things that I've been very passionate about throughout my career is around organisational fit and employee fit. And whether you're a very large business or a small business, it comes down to the same thing. We go through processes to recruit people. We go through processes of probably not spending as much time as we should in investing and understanding what it looks like in terms of our current workforce uh, and evaluating how do we bring that capability and expertise into the organisation. We rely a lot on past experience as opposed to getting an understanding of the softest, I guess what many would regard as the softer skills of employees rather than those obvious operational or executional skills. And that's very common. And actually, it's probably... Probably a greater issue in the small, medium-sized business because the team's smaller and someone who's who doesn't fit can be is more disruptive in that sort of environment. So you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that the there is a radical difference between the two. All it means in a larger business is 
more often. <laughs> yeah, and they're n- notoriously slow moving with change. A lot of these big uh, multinationals and big businesses, where the smaller businesses can be uh, a little bit more nimble with with change. Uh, mm-hmm. But do you f- find that these um, global multinationals are, are being forced because of the disruptive nature of it, and particularly the, the focus now on soft skills that they're being forced to 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 change? faster than they'd probably like? I don't think they're being forced to change faster than they like. I think most uh, most large businesses do recognise the changing nature of the environment. Uh, certainly in, in my experience, the organisations that I've worked with more recently are a lot more responsive to the market. Um, why? They need to be. Mm. Uh, and that's the, you know, and technology drives a lot of that. Um, the nature of the marketplace drives a lot of that, and uh, you know it's a it's a necessity of, of running good business. You hear people talk about uh, certain workplace environments being toxic. It's a toxic culture or a toxic or a challenging work environment. Uh, what? How would you recommend to, or what, what would you recommend to someone how they could change that culture from that to lessen the toxicity to make it a more uh, positive, proactive, engaged culture? What, what are some of the strategies that you'd recommend? You've got to start at the top. You've got to start with leadership. I think often when you look at organisations where the environment, and, and I, I don't necessarily mean leadership from a, and that's one of the complexities in a very large organisation. You may well have a, you know, a, a global leader running a, a very significant organisation who doesn't have the ability to influence right throughout you know, several thousand employees. Uh, if you're a business that's got 20 employees, yes, you can get everyone in a room at one time. You can you can influence them very directly. Um, so leadership, whether it be you know at a at a global level or at a very local level, is really the driver behind the the nature of nature of the workplace. And if you're operating in a toxic work environment, very often you'll find it's as a consequence of the uh, of, of the nature of the leadership and the commitment of that leadership to change that environment. You can't change it from the bottom. Yeah, that's uh, that's wonderful advice. Noel, just to finish off, if you had a crystal ball and we're looking at the next 30 years, what would you predict would be uh, some key changes or how the workplace will look? I think it'll be very much more focused, not hope I'm around in 90 and 30 years, but I'm not sure I will be. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> um, look, I, I think the, the responsive and being able to be nimble as an organisation will be critically important. And I mean nimble both in terms of how you take products to the market, but nimble in terms of thinking and execution of what the business does. There's absolutely no question that the marketplaces are changing radically and we've got to have people in organisations who are able to respond to that change. Um, so, you know, it keeps coming back to, you know, the capability of, of people in the organisation is so crucial in that. Yeah, 
That's a great way to finish up. Noel Pierce, thank you so much for your time this morning and uh, and being a star here on Taking Care of Business. Oh, you're more than welcome. Thank you. Thank you. We are getting brainier as, as, as the show is getting on. I'm loving it. And uh, thank you for listening. I hope you're enjoying this show as much as I am. Uh, keep listening. We've not quite finished yet. And we'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. We spent the first part of the show talking about soft skills and people analytics and how to make the intangibles tangible. And we've talked about lots of theory. We've talked about neuroscience. We've talked about engagement and leadership and what the future of the workplace will look like. And just before the break, we were chatting with, uh, I suppose, one of Australia's leading HR experts, Noel Pierce, and he was chatting about the future of work and that no matter what industry you're in but that workplaces need to be very nimble in their thinking and execution and the execution is important because we're all about getting a job keeping a job uh, all those elements and I'm joined here in the studio with Duncan Ferguson and Steve Zanon and Steve I just wanted to talk now to you particularly about how the execution, you know, Noel was talking about being nimble in the thinking and execution and all this theory. So how does that actually translate into what you have to do? What's the how? I think this is, this is the most exciting part because I think at the start of the program Good. we were talking about having this platform that could actually measure soft skills in a, in a reproducible way, mm. which is wonderful, but then that opens up. Okay, given that I've got this information, what can I then do with it? Yep. Um, both at a personal level, uh, a school training level, an employment company level. And it opens up a whole lot of new strategies. Um, now that you've got the tool to measure things, you can actually do things um, in, a, in an accurate, reproducible, systematic way. Whereas before you were sort of moving around in the dark. So one of the, I've made a couple of pivots in the business that, that I've done. Um, so I'm involved in the ageing segment, I've involved in the disability segment, and I've also been involved in the education segment for the past five years. So the idea of working now uh, amongst the, the soft skills area and having some, some metrics, you can begin to measure those metrics for school children, perform some teaching activities, and then measure them again. And then you start to see, well, has this intervention or this program worked? Whereas before you were sort of moving in the dark, you might be three or six months down the track in a school year and going, oh, my God, I hope this intervention's working. Whereas now you can see it in days. Mm. Um, so that gives the teachers a whole lot of agility in how they uh, finesse those programs. So the accuracy of the teaching situation in the soft skills area changes phenomenally. So when we're looking into the 21st century, and I was just down last week at a, at a manufacturing con conference in Dandenong. Now, manufacturing um, has been a heavy industrial area before, mm. but now we're moving into something called advanced manufacturing and in industry 4.0, which is a radically different perspective. And all of the big manufacturing companies down there are saying that it's soft skills not the hard vertical skills that we really need. Why? Because we've got to change our business every four or five years um, if we're going to have a, a product that's successful and be on the cutting edge of whatever area that we're looking at. So this nimbleness and agility is really important. So what comes out of all of this for both our workforce and our, and our kids is the ability to learn how to learn. And even more important, that self-agency in learning. 
So they're confident in going into their career and job, not only job hopping, industry hopping, hopping every five or 10 years in industries we can't even imagine yet. So they've got to have the confidence of working, walking into a new environment and going, oh my God, I've got no idea what's going on, but I'm really confident I can figure it out and, and put my place in the world. I'm glad you mentioned the educational side because I've always found it interesting that this rise of STEM skills or the STEM program and those that, uh, just to clarify, I think I've got this, that's science, yep. technology, engineering mm-hmm. and maths, Correct. which are all hard skills. Yep. So... Where does the soft skills come in that? And I actually then think, well, STEM could be soft thinking, emotional management. I mean, you know, you can keep changing the acronym around, but how does the current STEM program with this hard focus, or so hard skill focus, how does that fit in with this rise of and the importance of soft skills? Yeah, so this STEM agenda, which has um, uh, popped up in the last couple of years, is a reaction to the massive change in technology that mm. we're seeing. So the suggestion is now, oh, my God, there's so much technology changing. We need to make sure our next workforce is is skilled in that space. And all of that is true, again, with a big but. Um, The soft skills and the entrepreneurial skills are just as important or even more important than the hard uh, STEM skills, if you like. Because even on the cutting edge of the STEM, again, that's changing so fast. There's standard engineering practices and whatever that you need a, a, a base in. But then, the, as I said, technology and industry 4, 4.0 is changing so fast that even that is evolving radically quickly. And a lot of, a lot of those areas are being automated quite quickly. So the thing that, that's not going to be automated is the humanity in all of this. Yeah. So it's the skills around uh, the humanity and the interpersonal engagement which are key. As we get more and more... Uh, automated, if you like, the back office and the back end engineering facility is getting closer and closer to the customer now. So we're moving actually back to bespoke engineering and not um, large scale stuff. So this humanity, customer contact, collaboration piece, things are so complicated that no one person can build a product anymore. You've got to have a team. But more important than that, a cross-disciplinary t- disciplinary team. So this uh, humanity, soft skills, collaboration piece is the cutting edge. Yeah, and following on, Steve, that comes back to soft skills. We're talking about the ability for creativity and collaboration, which can now be measured. And exactly. there's a uh, example on our website with Havis Media, which went in to define what does innovation look like in the digital media set. And this can be done for all sorts of different roles, and people can match up and map across it through the templates of the industry, and it's job role and from the individual's profile. Yeah, exactly. So what Duncan's just described there is a systematic approach to understanding what soft skills look like. So it's the next step. Mm. It's what do we do? Well, we can build templates, we can build practices, we can build structures once we can see into this space, which was a little bit invisible before. And that's what's exciting because it's a whole new domain to bring forward both the individual from a personal growth point of view, but also the industries and how quickly they're changing. Yes, I, I can. Yeah. your excitement is, is flowing <laughs> over, Steve. I love it. And now I picked up something you said earlier about soft skills and it got me thinking, is there an exhaustive list of soft skills? Because you mentioned something about 10 to 50 identified soft skills. Is that right? Has that been officially identified or how do you list them? Uh, so there's... People, when they think of soft skills, think that there might be a short list of basic soft skills. 
And what it actually turns out, and, and, and this is the same with cognition and thinking skills, there's a whole lot of core cognitive skill components. And in, and in school, what we do is we layer them up. Learning, regardless of what subject that you're involved in, is actually um, more and more layers of ab- abstraction that sit on top and higher levels of thinking around those. So whether you're, you're learning in the mathematical analytic domain, the artistic creative domain, humanities domain or whatever, what we're actually doing is building higher levels of ab- abstraction and deeper levels of thinking around those core pieces. Now, it turns out that soft skills are exactly the same. Yes, there's some, some basic componentry um, in and around soft skills, and there's, there's six um, basic ones from a theorist's point of view that they've spoken about. But can, now you na- can you name them? Off the top of my head. Yes. Sorry to put <laughs> um, you on the spot, but just, to, no, that's just okay. for people listening to get a sense of what actually a soft skill is, I suppose. Um, happiness, sadness, uh, which, uh, which is grief, if you like, anger. Um, disgust, uh, and there's another two which escaped me just at the moment. But Content, then you uh, contempt, contentment. Um, yeah, but then you can finesse those skills. Mm. So again, there are spectrums. So for somebody that's sad, for example, there's a you can be a little bit sad, or you can be heavily grief stricken. Grief stricken. So there's a big spectrum around that. And actually, those the, again, none of those emotional states or effects, as they're called in the scientific literature, stand by themselves. There's overlays and there's mixtures. So it's a colour spectrum. You never have one feeling in isolation, even though at one particular time one might be dominant. There's always a series of flavours around this. So there's a couple of things. There's some nuances around that, there's some spectrum, and then there's some layers that Mm. go on. As you as you begin to understand and nuance those a little bit more, yeah, the cognitive neuroscience, uh, Duncan, that we were talking about earlier, which is your software system of cogmetrics in a way of measuring those skills. Uh, the and neuroscience, there's new evidence and information coming out daily, like it's such a, a new, exciting area. Uh, but you talked about those overlapping skills, Steve, and that's the same with that we don't just think rationally or we don't just think emotionally. There are there overlaps all the time with that. Now, I just wanted to quickly, as we as we come to the end of our show, Duncan, talk about ATAR scores, you know, and when how does that, just very quickly, uh, are they still important for measuring a, a achievement for students? My personal opinion is an, all an ATAR score does is open up more course possibilities. My concern is that in the past, we have looked at an ATAR score and, and chosen a career, or course and career path on basis, what's the hardest course that I could get into? Yeah. Instead of thinking about who you are as a person, what are your, what are your values, what are your interests, where should you go where you're going to not just do well but be happy? Mm. Also, if you go into a, a career where you're not that engaged, not that passionate, you have the chance of being an also-ran because mm. you're just not that into it. Whereas you find something that you really, really love, the chances are that you may not be the best initially when you go into it, but if you passionately work at it, you will become one of the leaders in your field. That's a nice way to finish off the show, isn't it, Steve Zannon? Thank you very much for joining us today and sharing your incredible knowledge. Love it. Duncan Ferguson, thank you very much for being on the show. And, of course, a thank you to Noel Pierce, who joined us on the phone from Sydney. We hope you've learned something new today and feel inspired. We look forward to your company next Friday at 11am. In the meantime, keep taking care of your brain and your business.